three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the God is Awesome podcast. We are live on Facebook and we want to thank you for uh, joining us today. If you are listening to us in iTunes or in Spotify or just a replay, give us a hashtag replay if you're in the Facebook group. Um, otherwise, go ahead and subscribe um, to our podcast and review it and rate it. It really helps us rank higher in the um, and the, on the charts uh, so that more people can listen to these awesome testimonies. Uh, and speaking of awesome testimonies, we've got one queued up, uh, amazing testimony by Pam Tor. Pam, say what's up to everybody. Hi, everybody. All right. Uh, my name is Aaron. If you guys didn't know, I'm going to be your host for uh, this episode. Um, like I said, one more time, if you guys would, wouldn't mind sharing this podcast or liking it uh, with someone who might be, uh, who might, you know, really, um, gel with this podcast might understand some of the things that Pam is coming from. Um, it would be fantastic. And it's a good way to be digital missionaries um, out here. It's such an awesome opportunity um, and tool to use. Uh, anyway, we're going to kick it over to you, Pam. Pam, just thank you so much for being part of this podcast and being open and willing to share your testimony. I'm super excited to hear about it. Um, so I'm just going to let you take over here. Uh, why, where are you coming from? Uh, how long have you been a Christian? Give me kind of like the origin story of uh, you and, and coming to Christ. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm from England and I'm from I was born in the northeast of England. And in the northeast of England, we're very direct in our speech. We then <laughs> moved down to the south of England. And in the south of England, it's the sort of place where you wake up at three in the morning and you've just worked out what somebody really meant when they chose you. <laughs> <laughs> so so you like. Figuring it out, culture shock. Yeah, and um, some people like that and some people don't, so yeah. I have to live with that. Uh, <laughs> I came to Christ late in life. I'm a slow learner, clearly. Uh -huh. and not only did I come late, I can look back and see where God was in my life. And even though I was mocking people who were Christians, you know, I thought they were what I would call long socks and plaits, boring people. What, what was that one more time? What, long socks and plaits. When I went to school, we were allowed to wear um, tights. This was quite a progressive move. But there were the, the studious people still wore their long socks and they tended to have plaits. So it's become an adjective for me. <laughs> I think that's a. I think that's an English term. I'm not sure if we. Oh, you, no. Okay. Are, are braids in the hair? Plants. Okay. P l a i t s. Okay. So you know huh. they they would be like that. They wouldn't be sort of following. They're nerdy. They're like Ned Flanders. They're like you They're know boring. They gotcha. Don't have to be happy says Pam Tor. Mm, okay. So, and that, that's what I thought of Christians too. Gotcha. Any any particular reason? Did you know any just from yeah, afar? Yeah, when I started my nurse training, I met my first proper Christian okay. believer. And she was a totally different person. She still went to these prayer groups, but they used to always tell me they were praying for me. I used to be outraged at their arrogance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and I I say these things because I think now we need to remember there are other people like me in the world thinking yeah, yeah. okay. And, and the way to sort of reach them, it's, it's different for everybody. So, that Christians are arrogant and that they're know-it-alls and stuff like that. Yeah, but this idea to tell someone you're going to pray for them infers that there's a deficit in a way. I suppose that's how I took it. And it was my retort would be go and pray for yourself, little knowing that, of course, they did. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> They needed Pantor to tell them. Oh, for sure. Anyway, for sure. so I was well into my 50s, and it came about because I was running a hospital, and um, it needed to be pulled into the 21st century. And we we had a lady there who was sort of living in the hospital, uh, wrongly diagnosed, and um, she had Munchausen's. What was that? She had Munchausen's disease, like faking paralysis. Okay. Lots of people have this. And um, so she was dictating who would care for her, when they would care for her. And as the hospital improved, so we were admitting more acutely ill people. And I found the nurses responding to this woman. So I had to change things. So we developed a program 
a multidisciplinary approach to try and improve her quality of life, to help with her seeing, and also to get her able to live in assisted living, okay. not be in the hospital, because it wasn't functioning as a hospital. Anyway, having got ready and got a start date, I decided she needed an advocate. So we had a part-time chaplain who was a vicar in the town. He was an Anglican vicar. He was also a monk. And he agreed to be her advocate. And he would every so often come up to my office pleading her case. And it was always no, you know, very often, a very few times even a compromise because we really were on a mission with her. Okay. And one day, I don't know what he said, but I can remember what I um, I turned around and said, you have to remember, Nicholas, that I don't believe all that rubbish in the Bible. Um, mm. I think we have to be good and kind and help each other, but I don't believe all that. He got up all in a half. As he got to my office door, he turned around and he said to me these magic words that did it all. I'm sure you love your sons, but who will know their name in 2000 years time? And off he went. Oh, and, he just left you and said that and just left? Oh, yeah, he walked off. I mean, I suppose I must have said something pretty we call We call that in America a mic drop moment, okay? We just right, okay. we drop the mic and then we just walk off. My first thought was, what's wrong with him? Oh, and yeah. Then, as I turned to get back to my work at the desk, my next thought was, but he's right about that. Nobody will know their name. Yeah. That was a Tuesday, and it's hard to believe this but for three days I could not work that was my every time I picked up a pen or something that was in my head well on the Friday he appeared at my door I put my hand on and said don't you come in here and I said to him you know I haven't had and he took a step in and I, I mean it <laughs> I haven't had any peace since you left on Tuesday and no. He then invited me for lunch the next day, Saturday, and my head was screaming, no way. Yeah. You know, this guy is not somebody I feel warm towards. I mean, yeah. it's the idea of etern eternal, like an eternal perspective that was in your head, right? Yeah. Mm. But my mouth said, oh, okay. <laughs> so the next day I go to dinner with him and there became many, many and I adore this guy now. I mean, he's a very, very clever man. I think he's amazing. But he asked me um, what sort of things did I think were rubbish. And I started with the virgin birth. Now, people listening might be shocked at some of the things I said because it appalls me, but I said them. Anyway, I just sort of said, um, you know, why did she have to be a virgin? It over-eggs the story. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And then as he's pouring the wine, I said, and that's another thing. Some people think this wine is the blood of Christ. I mean, how can any thinking human being? Yep. You know? Now, every time I threw one of these out, you know, and Noah building an ark, I mean, in the middle of a desert. It's a giant know, ship, really. Real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He never yeah. told me the answer. He never told me the right answer. He okay. just said things like, well, this is how I see it. Every time, this is how I see it. And every time he did that, I found myself thinking, well, that's reasonable. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. He was a master at sussing me out. <laughs> <laughs> how I was and what I, what I was like. Yeah. He, would, and I fell for this one. Would I read some books so that he could and critique them so he would know what age group. I mean, I fell for that, so I'm reading these books. One of them was a book on the saints. I mean, who would do that? And sure. mine is saying, why are you reading this? But yet I'm obediently reading it. Yeah. Then of course he gave me mere Christianity, which was a stopper. It was like- Sure, sure. Oh. They'll mess you up for sure. Well, Maggie Thatcher had upset the health, health service to a degree where it was getting impossible to care for patients. I left the health service, my yeah. retirement. And um, a former staff nurse was running a ski company as well as her job in the French Swiss Alps. And she rang me up 11 o'clock one night, would I go and manage the ski company? Now, what did I know about managing a ski company? But I learned if you can manage something, you can manage anything. Sure. <laughs> anyway, 
I go along, Nicholas tells me I've got to have a Bible. He tells me which one to buy, the NIV. And he gives me this book that I now know is like a daily devotional. But it was, I don't know who wrote it, but it was called Read, Mark and Build. So you know the go, you read a bit in Mark and then there's a commentary. Mm -hmm. And you sort of plod through it. A child of five could have read this. So I would sort out the ski company and then I'd have time in the afternoon. I'd be lying on the grass just reading through this. And I got to the bit about divorce and I'm telling the grass, well, that's not fair. You know, I didn't, um, although I called for the divorce, I, I didn't expect to be divorced. And I'm talking to the grass. Mm. Then I plod on thinking, oh, you know, and... Um, then I get to the bit about Easter. Now, it's nearly Easter time, and it's, I'm in the French Swift, Swiss Alps, so the bells are all ringing down in the valley. And, and I said to the grass, I don't understand this. You said to the grass? Yeah. It seems to me that if Jesus did, <laughs> the fact that he was born is the biggie. Mm. I couldn't understand why his dying was such a big thing. I mean, isn't this appalling? But that was me. So I said to the grass. Oh, wait, wait. So your, your problem was that he was born. There's the birth around Jesus Christ. That was your problem. If he was born, oh, why if he was born. not the big thing? Why mm -hmm. is he such a big thing when he died? Mm. It, um, that's just sort of where I was at, really. But the grass replied to me. I heard this audible voice, and it said, you don't have to understand, just accept. The grass said that to you. And I didn't look around to see who was speaking. It was an audible voice, which I've now heard five times. You heard an audible voice. Audible voice. You know how crazy that old pen would say you, you were. I know. Right? <laughs> yeah. You can't tell people because they think you're wacky. Yes. <laughs> oh, anyway, I heard this voice. Didn't even look around. Somehow I knew on reflection sort of later I, at the time, I just got up, went all the way down the mountain to the telephone, rang Nicholas, and I said, I think I've just become a Christian. His response was not yippee-doo, gush-gush. It was very sort of bland. Anyway. That it's was, like, oh, that's about yeah. time. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I know. About time, you got it a Christian. There. You know, um, it was incredible. And because I was sort of... So behind, I suppose, long story short, I got a job managing um, a care home for the elderly for OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, that was CIM, China Inland Mission. So here are all these former missionaries. I got a master class in Bible study. Sure. It was absolutely amazing. So God-given. and so, so you're saying, though, you, you came to Christ later in life. Yeah. You were a nurse, and there was this terrible patient who was sick in the head, and yeah. she was trying to use the her, the hospital as a hotel, basically. Yeah. An advocate came in here, Nicholas, a vicar, yeah. and he just kind of put it to you on an, an internal perspective about your kids. Um, and then from there, you just started asking questions, and then one day you found yourself talking to some grass, and you hear a voice back. Yes. That's amazing. That's kind of crazy, actually. So, <laughs> I mean, Christians would have a hard time. Eyeball, I'm like... What does that even mean? But, you know, if, you, if you're someone who, from a, from a skeptic's brain, right? Like, where, the boat, the virgin birth, fire, and all this stuff. Really? Really? And then grass is starting to talk to you? Like, I just think that's pretty ironic of God or, I don't know. Like, there's some, <laughs> there's some kind of humor that has to be there or something. I'm not sure. I just um, find it odd that I didn't question it. What's that say about me? That's interesting. That's <laughs> interesting. That you're like, you're just talking to grass. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I, well, and I, I guess me, God... I knew, in me, I knew that, in a way, God had spoken to me in some way. Yeah. I don't know. And, and I now believe, you know, people sort of say, oh, what's God's will in my life? This and the other. If God really wants you to know something, he'll find a way to tell you. Sure. He'll find an individual way to tell you. Um, and I think because of that, I believe that he sort of really needed to get through. I was talking about stories I'd heard as a five-year-old mm. that I'd never gone back to. You know, people talk about um, unbelievers having a hole. 
I was not aware of any hold, so I I never understand that. I didn't. You were you were you well. weren't missing anything essentially. No, it wasn't. So well, yeah, let's talk to me about like where you coming from. What what created that skeptical mind when you met God? Like what what tell me about your childhood growing up? Um, well, it was abysmal. I didn't. I had a mother and father, but I wasn't parented. So looking back, I mean, I looked after myself. Basically, all they gave me was a house. Um, my father sexually abused me. I'm one of five. My eldest brother used to regularly be beaten so badly by my father. Um, and what, I, what caused your father to do this? What are the things that he did? Who knows? Awful man. Okay. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. So, you know, I left home as soon as I was legally allowed to leave school. Gotcha. I, just, I left school and I never went back. Did that, did, that must have sit with you. That must have formed you in some way, right? Like, Yeah, I think I felt invisible. Um, fortunately, I, I was a bridesmaid for a cousin up north when I was 11. And what a different house. This lovely aunt's really weird. She used to go to chapel to show off what she was wearing. I mean, I loved her dearly. And she was really a nice person. But had the wrong idea about chapel, as she called it. But yeah. anyway, she said to me one day, I was up there for about a month, that I was odd. When I asked her why, she said that there have been sweets in the drawer and you've never had one. And my reply was, so I didn't know they were mine. And mm. her reply was, well, they're everybody's. Yeah. I didn't have that concept. Right. And she said, anything in this house you can have. You had a concept of fear and rules growing up. Rules and, and nothing. Don't ask because yeah. you're not So I learned not to ask, which I I still find the problem now. So, so tell me about like, you know, th that's that's got to be traumatic. I don't want to just breeze past like sexual abuse from a father, right? Was it all the time? Did it? Yeah. Till I was 16, I left. It was and horrible, horrible, horrible. And I, I put up with um, carrying that till I was in my 40s. And I found myself doing a master's degree. Um, I'd just been diagnosed with lupus. I was um, starting divorce proceedings and I just started a new job. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just a new job for me. It was a newly created role. So you had to shape it. Now, that was the good bit in my life because I'm good at that. I can do that. Um, so that was how I got through those days. But work. I had a very there. good friend, and she came to see me after work. She was also a nurse, and I was in hospital accommodation at this stage. And you know, you grow out of that sort of life. And I didn't have the lights on. I was just sitting. And I mean, I, she, this appalled her. And in in talking to me because i was saying i don't think i can cope and she did two good things she gave me one sentence about coping which i i still think about and she made me talk about the abuse and she had me talking every time we met it was and what it did was trivialize it hmm. and it took about six months but after about six months um I stopped having flashbacks and I would have these flashbacks and just literally stop in my tracks and have this. Clear, clear into your forties. Sorry. Clear into your forties. You were having flashbacks. Yes. People carry this throughout their whole lives and, and yeah. you do too. Yeah. It's crazy. That's crazy. But I, I talked it out. So that's all I think, you know, happened. Plus I left the marriage my husband was committing adultery and I didn't realize until I left the marriage that he was actually putting me down all the time. So wait, so you, you were, you had a, so how was your marriage then? Like, tell, <laughs> what, what is happening right now? You, you're, I don't want, I don't want to breeze past through like a, a, a childhood of abuse and, um, and then you got married and then there, what, what was happening during that marriage? Well, we had our second son, and um, now I can see he's got—he's on the spectrum of autism, Asperger's. So he was not an easy child at all. And of course, I didn't know about Asperger's or autism or whatever. He was 
so clever, it was frightening. And I actually didn't care how clever he was. He could read a two and a half. We lived in Germany when he was 16 months old. He spoke fluent German to the woman who used to deliver the milk. I mean, he was just like that. He would ask questions that got beyond me being able to answer. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't happy. And I didn't care how clever he was. I thought he can be clever when he's 40, but he needs to find happiness. He just wasn't happy. So, you know, that was my thing with him. And my husband was useless with that. I mean, he just was. He didn't understand. He what was, did your husband do or didn't do? Like he what? was in the military to begin with. So we okay. got um, And, you know, I don't know if it happens in America, but in England, if you have problems and you're in the military and you're the wife, you're neurotic. Hmm. <laughs> the sort of automatic branding that you get. You're the problem. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. So I didn't get any help um, with Paul. And there were loads of other sort of physical problems with him that I had to get sorted out. And as I what said... You mean, what do you mean physical problems? What does that mean? He had um, encapresis, which um, it's soiling. Um, without sort of warning and he it's I found a friend who saw what was going on knew a consultant at Tommy's St Thomas's hospital who dealt with this and he checked him out physically and there was a physical difficulty in him um, having his bowels open so he did this minor operation it's called a bougie but most um, pediatricians won't do it because you have to stretch the bowel bigger than their heads will sort of make them feel is right and this guy did it and we never looked back from then on but you know he was nine before we got that sorted all because a friend um, was concerned and and was researching for me so your your husband was no help at this time right useless yes (laughs) He so, couldn't cope with that sort of thing. He wanted his children to do as he said and when he mm-hmm. said, and you know. And so, so how did the affair happen? What's the what happened with the affair and stuff? Well, again, slow to learn. That's my sort of message in life. I'm very slow to learn. <laughs> you know, we are all we're all that sometimes. Oh even. my goodness, he would just come home very very late. He had a a, a high position working in Harrods, um, which was quite a journey. And, you know, a very responsible job. And, of course, I'm just assuming that he's having to work. And then, um, I don't know, something must have been going on subtly that I wasn't registering. But one night he came in with a bunch of flowers again. And it just, like, exploded in my head. For the first time in my life, I started to swear. (laughs) How did you? How how did that make you feel? Like, what what did you go through mentally? What what did you think of yourself? Initially, I was... I was so angry, it was beyond reason, I was just, and then it was, you know, okay, I'm not going to be one of these people who just forgives and says there's no problem, and so I immediately uh, went for legal advice, Um, it got to the stage where it wasn't safe for me to be in the house, and if you can believe, it was the most awful divorce. And what do you mean? Husband, what do you mean by that? It wasn't safe for you to be in the house. Well, they, my, given what my husband was doing, um, I was told. First of all, I was told to stay in the house; um, otherwise, I would lose some sort of possession rights. I don't know. Then it was you better get out the house before he sort of attacks you. He was he couldn't cope with it at all. Even had his friends who I didn't know. Um, in London, ringing me up and advising me because they were listening to him. We'd never had to worry about money. You know, whoever had money paid for this, that and the other, we were just easy about money. That totally changed. And he just, well, he just took everything he could possibly take. And I was left totally vulnerable. So um, I also had some idea. I thought I was this person that, oh, well, you're getting divorced. <laughs> but when it happens, no. Hmm. It's total rejection. Yeah. So back to feeling, I suppose, I obviously don't matter very much. And that started when you were younger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it continued. Younger, it was more, uh, okay, here I am. I'm seven years old thinking, okay, I'm invisible. So this is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> I just sort of fixed it, but, you know. Anyway. So 
So before we continue, um, there are some people here that um, I know their stories and they, they know that they've been sexually abused by family members. Do you have any advice for, let's say, a young girl trying to cope with this? Maybe it's happening or it has happened and they're maybe in you know, the early years. Do you have any advice for them? I think if it's happening, get out. Sure. Because there's, there's no way. And then I think... It's not uh, normal. It's not acceptable. No, that's right. And, <laughs> you know, it is, it's wrong. It's so wrong. It's a particular crime, in my view. There's no other crime like it. And then I think, for me... Well, you, yeah, you've got these, like... You, that's supposed to be, like, the protector, right? The yeah. Your protector, your, the head of the household and you know it's not rape of a child it's totally different and people who haven't experienced it can't seem to grasp that yeah you know we had a judge in england i'll never forget him he's probably dead by now but he there was a nine-year-old girl who was um raped by a boy and um the judge said well she probably was asking for it and this was the head that's disgusting yes yeah, that's, that's disgusting so anyway, but I would say for me anyway, it was talking it out until it diminishes. And talking it totally, don't don't sort of uh, it. say it all. Yeah. Drag it all out into the light. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. So if, if you if you have gone through some kind of traumatic experience, like don't diminish it. Talk it out with someone who's trusted who can keep these secrets and um yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's important. Did um, you talk to a professional? I forgot. Was it just a friend? She, I forgot. It was a friend who was a nurse, and her counseling. She wasn't a qualified counselor, but her counseling skills were excellent. Okay, so she she had some training. She has. She yeah. Has some training. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so, so uh, and so, you 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 grew up through a sexually abusive home, feeling invisible. Then you get into a marriage, uh, and then. That he, how long was the the uh, did the affair happen, and how did the divorce go down? You said it was a nasty divorce. Oh, my solicitor had counselling. Can you believe that? That was the final straw. Mm. I learned that my solicitor was getting counselling. Wow, because of my divorce. Oh, yeah. it was awful. Oh. He, it was awful. He stalked me. That was. I was terrified. It was horrible. He was horrible. He stalked you. Yeah, like a. Well, he knew I'd been at the hospital and he would, he didn't know the geography of the hospital at all. He would walk around the accommodation areas and there were quite a lot. And he had this particular whistle. Now that's all he did. And it terrified me. I would hear this whistle. Isn't that weird? What's that's weird. Whistle? That's some weird stuff right there. That's not. I know, but it scared me. It, more what did he do? It? Did he do it just to like? Is he doing it just to mess with you? Is he trying to get you back? I had no idea. I don't know if he was just trying to find out where I was. I have no idea. But hmm. That's weird. One day he arrived at the hospital at lunchtime. We were all having lunch, and I was sitting with you know the matron and senior staff, and she suddenly saw him come in the back door and I mean they all sort of knew and she just said get up and go to my office and sit in there your husband is looking for you just That's come to the back door so I got up and did that until she came and it was horrible you've no idea but what was ridiculous was I was scared over a whistle <laughs> well yeah I mean that's probably a way like to psychologically put himself above you still or have some kind of rule or um like authority over you just to like, I don't know. Cause he's, he's a small person and he's a small man and he's a small boy and he wants like some measure above you. Yeah. And so he came up with a, a whistle or just being around or being imminent presence and stuff like that. When did that end? How did that all end? Finally, I got divorced in 86. It was, um, it did end. And I made a, a sort of vow that I would never, I was totally financially vulnerable. It was horrendous. I had no idea what was going to happen. I mean, it's part of God being in my life before I knew um, yeah. how it's gone from then on. But I sort of thought, how do people ever get married again? Because that sort of blind trust is gone. Yeah. <laughs> There would be an interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you 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 have this baggage, right? Yeah. A whole lifetime, forty plus years. Yeah. 
finally get into your what well, you said 50s right 50s i met christ late 50s, 50s. I met christ 40s. how did that change how, what was your what were the biggest things that changed in your life like mentally uh what changed um because i had that what i call the master class in christianity i learned i asked somebody who was leaving the staff um a nurse who was a christian to critique my work what i'd done and she finally after she'd moved she wrote me a letter which reduced me to tears because it was the truth and it was a wonderful truth. She, all the things I'd done, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So I'm really, oh, good, good, good. And then she said, but I think you think you're working in your own strength. And I did. What does that and mean? That God was doing all this, not me. God was using me to um, make all these things happen and improve things and everything. Whereas I thought it was my own cleverness. Mm. Not in a cocky way. I just thought I was capable, you know? Sure. And I learned that, oh, my goodness, I learned that. I also learned one day, you have no idea, the place was a mess. And I had no night nurse for this night. And I exhausted all my abilities to get a night nurse. And this little, I called her a walking saint. She was about 80, shorter than me, can you believe? She spoke fluent Chinese, had been over there and lived among the Chinese. And she came along and she said, Pam, dear, you look worried. And I said, yes. And I thought, you people have no idea of the real world. This is me mocking again in my head. And Were you a Christian here? Sorry? You were, you were a Christian here, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you <laughs> and um, she said, um, give it to the Lord. And I swung around. She walked past me, give it to the Lord. And I swung around through gritted teeth. <laughs> oh. I have given it to the Lord. I'm already a Christian. <laughs> and she came back and looked up at me. And she said, well, you obviously haven't because you're still worried. And off she went. I could have killed her. I just yeah. thought, yeah. you know, what do you know about anything? Yeah. Oh, she knew everything. Anyway, so I, what I did, I went back into the office and I sat there and I said, okay, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I haven't got a night nurse tonight. I know I can work tonight, but I can't also, having worked today, work tomorrow. And you know tomorrow this is happening and I have to be here. So, uh -huh. and I threw it up. I went out and I walked around the grounds for 20 minutes. And I looked at the grass and the flowers, and I didn't even think about my night nurse. Five to five. <laughs> I looked at the clock and I thought, okay, God, I've got the message I'm working tonight. Uh -huh. And the phone rang. And this voice said, hello, I'm a nurse. Have you got any work? <laughs> and I said, you don't want to work tonight, do you? She said, I'll work tonight. Goose <laughs> pimples. I said, you will? So she said, yes. Yeah. She said, how do I get there? So I told her. Oh, she said, I'll have to get the train. I'm in Sidcup. I was in Kent at this date. And I said, there isn't a train from Sidcup. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. Well, it didn't used to be. I said, okay, fine. And then get a taxi, leave me the ticket, and I will pay your fare and blah, blah, blah. Put the phone down. And I thought, wow, God, you left that close. But thank you. Phone rang again. She uh -huh. said, you're right, there isn't a train. I would have to go all the way into London and then come out again. And she said, I would do that, but the cost of doing that would take all the money I'm going to earn. I said, I'll pay your fare, would you? Can you pay your fare and then I'll pay you back in the morning when I mm -hmm. come back? Yes. So she came. I put the phone down. And then it was, okay, God. Yeah. And what I learned was, if we, we talk about giving it to God, you have to actually give it. Sure, you sure. Know, I it love like, that. It's, it sounds like you, you're you probably the most reluctant giver, right? You're like a reluctant Christian and didn't want to get saved and you got saved and <laughs> reluctantly give I'm not going to give it to God. Okay, fine. And then you, <laughs> you turns out, I think that happens a lot. You know, we want our own sovereignty, even if we do, even if we are Christian, you know, even when God does change our hearts, we just, we just. Well, I think, 
for me, I have to learn the practicality. I had to learn that, not just yeah. believe it. I had to see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting like that, and and a lot of people struggle with that, you know, and that that's where I think when when they want it, when they want control, that they get anxiety as well, you know. Yeah. When they want control, they want they get the worry and the anxiety, and that's why I think God says, "Give up the worry, give up the anxiety, and yeah. you'll be kind of free. There'll be peace." Exactly. Um, what what are some what are some passions that you that are that you find yourself in nowadays? Um, like where is God taking you? Where is God leading you? Uh, how is God using you right now? I think it's wonderful that, you know, I have the Monday group, which I really enjoy doing. I went through a phase of, you know, it's wrong that I enjoy it so much. I'm not doing God's work. I'm doing Pantor's thing. Were, were you like, like, is this about me or is this about God? <laughs> so much as I do. Do you know what sure, I mean? Sure. Anyway, I got over it. Um, I, I'm passionate about well-being. I really am because... I just see so many people who are heading towards illness and they, I wish I could divert them. Um, so I really feel strongly about getting people to understand that well-being is more important than having good health. Well, Not well, it's, it's been such a part of your testimony in your life so far, right? I mean, that's yeah. what do you mean by well-being? I think it's about the, why I'm passionate about it. One of the aspects of well-being is hope. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around an unbeliever who's tried to kill themselves and, and has no hope. How do you give that person hope? It's words. Um, and it's not words they want to hear. But believers, we have that hope. The hardest thing to give somebody, and we have it already as believers, which leads me into the rest is easy. If you just see what it says in Scripture about, you know, getting your emotions understanding what makes you angry and understanding that you can change it once you understand what the trigger is mm -hmm. you know and it's about affect it's about having self-esteem self-confidence having a role and a purpose and if you like i did a lot of stuff with care of the elderly and one of the main problems there is they become a burden because everything has to be done for them so i used to find things for them to do back um, so, you know, they, they're receiving, but they're also giving, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's another, I have a passion about elderly care. That's the one thing I sort of miss because it's so easy to get it right. And most people are getting it wrong. I'm very mm -hmm. opinionated. What are, what are, what are, how do you, how do people get it wrong? Give me two examples and give me two examples of how to do it right. If you go into a care home and everybody's in a wheelchair, even at meal times, you know, they need help. They need advice. They need teaching. Um, if you go into a home and everything is done for the people and they've lost their identity and they, they have no value to mm. anybody, that's wrong. And it's mm. not necessary. You can, you can do better. It's instead of serving them, you're, you're helping them in the way. Yes, you help them, but you give them a way of giving back. Doing it to you themselves. Know, we had a little old lady who... Um, I had her folding napkins for the the meal times, and the joy that gave her. Sure. And she folded more napkins than we ever needed, but she That's, never yeah. got fed up with it. It mm -hmm. was within her capabilities, and we made a great thing of. Oh, thank goodness you've yeah. done. You know, that's, a, that's something interesting because a, a lot of people are talking about um, how people don't need approval or not approval, don't need money. They more need function. They need, they don't need to be taken care of. They need to be able to provide a function or a value into some kind of community. Yes. And that does wonders for something yeah. here. So how does that intertwine with your, your faith and how does that intertwine with Christianity? Because you said something about self-esteem, self-confidence and function. And how does that intertwine with faith? And hope, how does especially hope? Because I think if you read scripture, it's it's there. It's a it's a book of counseling. I believe in um, cognitive behavior therapy is what the Bible is. But you have to do it. You have to do the work, and and you have to. I feel I I need to convince people that a they must do it because I need to tell them what's ahead of them in their old age. If they keep on being a worry word or they keep on having anger, how many people do you know who are quick to anger and have gastric ulcers? You know, that's a classic. Um, 
our emotions make us ill. Hmm. It, and it matters to me because I've seen the other end and it is, it is avoidable. And I, one thing about, this is another thing on my soapbox, I get sick to death of the way we pray for illness. We've honored illness so much. What do you mean? If you look at any prayer list, the illness is this long. Then we have travel. Where's people's divorce, debts, struggles? We should be, if we're really a family, we should be able to be asking for prayer for all these personal things. Well, people don't want to share debt. You know what I mean? Like, people wanna... don't tell me I'm in a church family. Yeah. Sometimes people um, are, are embarrassed. You know what I mean? People are embarrassed to share, like, hey, yeah, I'm in debt and I need help out of it. And, and I, I believe that debt is a sign of materialism in, in someone's life, you know, like, so, so you're saying it's prayer. People see that it's okay to pray for health. It's not okay to be vulnerable. Hmm. You know, health is allowed. It's not your fault, blah, blah, blah. Sure. I think we have to do something about that. Um, people shouldn't feel embarrassed, judged or whatever. Yeah. And I know that's very grand, and and I know there are people in the church that will go on judging. But if we're really a believer and we're reading scripture, we we should know that that is not what God wants. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with because we're we're then a master of something else, you know. I just if I was in charge of sunlight mm -hmm. at a stroke, I would ban those prayer lists. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? You ban the prayer. You mean we're not going to be able to pray for anyone else? <laughs> Don't pray say, for this person. Don't yeah. pray for this person. Yeah, be embarrassed about being ill, but let's hmm. pray for the real things. Okay. You, know, you, don't, you don't think uh, illness is uh, a real thing? Yes, it is a real thing. And okay. it's unpleasant, but it's not the only thing. Gotcha. It's the thing we've made honorable. So maybe not, maybe not just illness, maybe add to the to the list well i would shorten the list too because hmm. especially in this country i'm going to say something really gone sure. Go ahead. you're in this country you are taught i watch the adverts and it says tell your doctor that this tablet this pill sure tell your doctor my, my i sit here thinking why does the doctor not know hmm. why did he do all that training what motivates him to come to work if we're all walking in with the advert that says you've got to give me this yeah. And I think over here, because of your insurance structure and everything, your pill poppers, um, you know, and I, it, it's just like at the slightest thing, people are going to the doctor. They're not giving their body a chance to react or do anything. Mm. It worries me um, because I, I've got to find a doctor who will put up with me saying, sure. I don't need all those blood tests. You know, sure. I've just so got so you're coming at it from a uh, very from a nursing background here yeah. uh, for years and years in the field. Um, and so a lot of experience and stuff like that. Let me ask you, um, how does someone how does someone promote well-being and health from a Christian standpoint to a non-Christian? Right. You, you've got all these opinions. Um, how, how does it practically look like? What 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 I advice can you give me to, to do that for other people? To give well-being, to talk about well-being to an unbeliever because they don't have prayer lists. So you can they see you as someone who can give advice. So you can go in on the well-being thing with, look, why don't you try doing this? Because it will actually stop this happening, blah, blah, blah. The believers are the people who think if I could put it on a prayer list. So illness becomes the thing that we pray about. I see what you're saying. You're saying like we're we just... Should, of course we should pray for illness, but to the extent that we do. Yeah. We pray do. about the life situations, life circumstances. Yeah, too. That's right. Because all that, that, all that affects your health too. And if you haven't got one person you can go to for prayer, what do you do with all those other things? You know? Hmm. And I, you know, I wish we, I don't have a prayer partner. I wish I had a prayer partner, um, you know, for the things I want to pray for. What would you pray for? I would pray about things. I would pray for my loneliness. I get lonely sometimes. And I beat myself up because, you know, I, I'm not on my own. I have to keep reminding myself. 
Uh, but yeah. loneliness too is a killer. So I, I know that. So I know I have to sort of deal with it. I would pray for all sorts of things. What I've noticed, if I'm praying for someone after the service in church and I'm praying with a second person, we're both praying, we complement each other. I come in from one tack, that person comes in from another tack. Yeah. So if you were praying with a prayer buddy, I think that would happen too. You would serve each other in that way. I yeah. think that's good. Hmm. Well, I think, um, yeah, I think prayer uh, prayer is given to us by god like as a way to like kind of step into god's plan for the world right it's like he it's our part and we take part in prayer mm -hmm. uh he answers prayer he, you know there's all this thing there's like a mystery to prayer around it too but um i yeah i think you're right when we say that there's a restriction to prayer um when when we kind of pray about certain things all the time and we don't yeah. pray about other things that we should be praying about um and you're, you're kind of highlighting a, the importance of a prayer partner here. Um, but, but why haven't you found one yet? Or do you just, just try it? Or like... I haven't tried because I, I sort of don't know how to go about it. You know, when you come into a, a, a new place, everybody, if you like, is sorted. They're all, their friendships are all fixed, ready. Um, so it's quite difficult to sort of break into that. Do you know what I mean? It's... Yeah, like you go into a church and you're like the new kid, you know? And yeah. Like... Yeah. Um, That's a problem. That's a big problem. I think a, a lot of churches and even well-meaning churches face that problem. Yeah. Uh, how do you think we should break that? I think there's lots of things. There's a good book being written by somebody local, actually, called Ruth Buchanan, um, talking about um, singles in church. Um, and I think she comes up with not just some of the obvious difficulties, but with sort of things that you could do about it. Um, I think... One of her things is that married couples should be aware that there are singles. Sure, we we cater to a lot of married couples at the uh, to yeah. To, yeah. to the detriment of singles in a lot yeah. of cases. Yeah, and a lot of the preaching, in a way, quite rightly, it's about family. Sure, and, you know, we're always being told we're in a family, and actually, we're not. But then I'm from a fractured family, so I don't think I know what a family should be. Sure, sure, that's you know, interesting too. That's problem plus i've learned not to ask and all that i still carry to a degree interesting which, interesting yeah. what do you mean by you've learned not to ask when i was a child there was no point oh yeah that yeah that's right so you don't it ask it became a learned behavior it's a habit it's a learned behavior yeah and it's hard to unlearn isn't it sure sure and so we have to fight ourselves on both ends of it right like on the church end try to be mindful of people uh who have come from broken family histories and might not understand it. And on the other side too, where hey, we might need to ask or may, might need to raise awareness. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think that's the, I think that's the uh, result of sin in our lives and yeah. in, in Christians lives, you know, it's just what I it is. Say, I think quite rightly, you could look at somebody my age and, you know, well, go and sort it out, go and work it out. You know, mm -hmm. you're allowed to have an expectation that I can solve my problems. Sure. <laughs> too. Um, yeah. And there's there's a lack of empathy there. There's a lack of uh, compassion there. Yeah, so, like, people don't know where you're coming from. Really. Sure. Why you can't do it? Yeah, and and maybe now people, more people know at least where you're coming from. You know, with, with your. Never believe I'm quite shy. No, because I. I've got so many opinions. A little bit of a firecracker. It's all good though. That's what that's what makes for a good podcast. <laughs> well, Ms. Pam, thank you so much for um, joining us. Uh, on this on this evening on this podcast let i want to finish off um with with one last question uh why do you think god is awesome oh my goodness i can look back in my life and see that you know i didn't just not know god i i sort of worked against knowing him and mocked people i mean dreadful i can and yet i can see Things happened, especially in my nursing career, things happened that had no explanation at the time. You know, I can remember saving a baby's life because I got there in time and I don't know why I got there in time. And now I know that it was God. Yeah. And I looked so many, so many times. This creature, <laughs> he bothered about me. I mean, I'm just insignificant and yet 
he was there all the way through, even down. I started training as a nurse because I needed a roof over my head. And yet it, it was the best job. I loved it so much. In hindsight, you see God working through your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in a very special way. Yeah. You know, it would have been all right if I was just somebody who didn't know God, but I was somebody worse than that. Sure. And he's been there all along with you. And he still bothered. Yeah. He's he still didn't. bothered to you. I don't think it I don't think it I don't think that's right. I think he didn't bother to. I think he, he intentionally picked you from the very <laughs> beginning. And so for sure. It, it it is absolutely I mean, he took away the lupus. It's just gone. Um I Yeah, he had lupus. That's crazy. I didn't, we didn't even talk about that. And it went. The bit I, we probably haven't got time to talk about, but how I got, I used to pray that I would forgive my father. Are we mm. running out of time? And, no, uh, please tell me. Lots and lots of, you know, please God, I want to forgive my father, blah, blah, blah. And nothing was changing. And I was feeling this is really bad. I'm supposed to forgive. And I went for lunch with Nicholas and he said to me, we were having a pub lunch and he said, well, I told him that was the first time I told him about the abuse and I couldn't forgive my father. And he said that perhaps the prayer was wrong and the prayer should be, I want to forgive my father. And I looked at him and I thought, that's the truth, because really the truth is I don't want to. And I was overjoyed. And as soon as he saw that reaction, he said, no, Pam, the prayer should be that you want to want yeah. to. So I was even one step further sure. So that became my prayer, day in, day out, all the time. And one day I was vacuuming and I stopped to make a coffee and I was still praying this. And my last, not my last, but I, the voice, this voice said to me, you don't have to do this anymore. And as I went through that doorway, I felt a weight that I didn't know I was carrying go. Yeah. And I have done nothing. I've never prayed since. I don't address it in any way in my thoughts. I feel somehow God's just said, stop. It's taking that from you. In some way. I can't yeah. explain it. But Yeah, it's interesting that you were... Say, well, have you forgiven your father? God's told me I don't have to do this anymore. That's and, and that's the thing, because as a Christian, we know that we have to forgive, but... We don't necessarily want to want, even want to, and that's that's interesting. That's yeah. probably that's what, that's a big thing. That's a it big is. Thing. To, we have to understand. I mean, Nicholas had it right. You you want to want to. Yeah. I was even further back than I thought. Sure, sure. And now I don't even have to. <laughs> yeah. God is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> totally awesome. That is awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Um, if you guys are out there still listening, we want to thank you for listening and making it this far. Um, give uh, Pam a shout, hashtag go Pam in the comments or, or uh, be able to share this video with someone who, who is struggling or has struggled with the same stuff. Um, we're, we're here to support each other. I mean, you heard her. I talk to people if they want to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, she's got a lot of opinions and, and definitely would be, wouldn't mind some prayer too. So Please, this is this is all about a community. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us. We love you. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you again, Miss Pam. Thank you. See you.